Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the marvellous Rachel Marsh. Rachel is currently developing a pre-PhD programme to support people coming into doctoral research. And in this episode, we talk about things that might come up in that first phase of your work And we also talk about why you should not be afraid to ask for support. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. Rachel. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it's, it's a delight to get to know you a bit better because we've, we've started working together um, on a project that you are heading up and I know you're going to talk a bit more about that but in terms of um, setting people up for good PhD um, experiences and I was like oh can you come and talk to us a bit more about that because you've been doing a lot of thinking around that. And so I'm very grateful that you said yes. Um, So before we get into all that good stuff, Mm -hmm. I always ask people to tell us a little bit about themselves and and your own um, PhD experience and beyond. So can you tell us a bit about that? I will do. And thank you for having me. And I think this is a wonderful podcast that you're doing and and one that is certainly, I'm sure, of benefit to a lot of people. So thank you for having me. Um, I think... I want to start with my trajectory for a PhD is becoming more common in that I was in my 40s when I I, I, I began it. Mm. Um, it wasn't the first time that I began one. And I think you're finding the days of undergraduate, master's, PhD, or even undergraduate PhD, where you're done with your PhD by the age of 26, while common yes. is not necessarily the norm. And so I, I, I think what I want to put out there is for those who are going, oh, am I too old for this? Um, no, you're not. So I, I, yes, yes. I was, I, that is kind of the world I was in. So yeah. um, my, a few stops and starts. Um, I did a bill at the University of Dundee, which started off as a PhD, but it, it wasn't the right fit for me. So mm-hmm. I um, stopped the PhD and rejigged and submitted as an MPhil, I actually submitted as an MPhil. And that for me, in hindsight, it was one of the best things that could happen because it was kind of like my starter PhD, yes, my starter research. Yes. And it gave me the knowledge to understand not just what a PhD is, but what not to do. And so then when I went to do the PhD, which was then several years after I finished the infill, I took another big gap. I knew, uh, you know, it wasn't about me going around begging someone to take me. It was about me finding the right fit of the right mm. program for me the right supervisor for me, and um, a a department and a program that had the same ethos that I did. Because a PhD, even in the same field, you may have a supervisor who sees it one way and the same field and another supervisor sees it another way. So that's it in a short, is that I didn't do what we think of as a PhD is, oh, they're really kind of, they're little smart little swats and they they come out at the age of 26 as a doctorate. No, I, I did it as more and more people are doing it as, as part of a longer lifetime 
uh, learning process. So yeah, so that's that's it in a nutshell. Um, a little bit more specifically, my PhD did end up being from the University of Surrey. Um, and I lived in Scotland while I did it. So I did a lot of traveling up and down the country um, as teaching was a requirement for my, my doctorate. So um, yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said and maybe we can talk about this in a bit about finding that that right fit, but that's it. Oh, in I, love, brief. I yeah. love so much about that. I love that you, you were in the driving seat. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can't say this enough in terms of that, the importance of, like, as you say, of, of finding the right fit, but the importance of kind of, of, of knowing what is right for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the idea of a starter PhD, although some people might be horrified by that in terms of, <laughs> <laughs> but to me, that sounds gorgeous and luxurious in terms of having more time on it. Um, but we are just so much wisdom in that. And, and as you say, not begging to be taken on, finding the place where you will be honoured, where you will be um, part of the team. Um, love it. Love, love, love it. Um, so because out of that experience, mm-hmm. um, you now are working on a, on a programme that's going to serve so many and help so many other people. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? I will. It's a, it's a pre-PhD program and it's through Oxford International. Um, I'm going to say that I have two roles in my academic world. One is I'm associate lecturer at the Open University where um, it's not really a traditional university in itself, but it is teaching more traditional courses in humanities. And then this role with Oxford International has come through my work of working with international students. So what the pre-PhD is, and I'm going to say this for international students listening, it, it's come out of the mindset of the pre-masters, the, 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 that entity that some international students do the summer before they start their masters to get uh, their language skills and their um, academic skill sets ready for the master's program. So that was the, the initial impetus. However, with that said, and this is where I'm speaking to all uh, future, current, past PhD students, it is not just for international students. So what the program does is it, it provides people with a chance to understand fully what a PhD is in the UK. Um, there's no coursework. It's working with a supervisor, manage your own time. Uh, you know, you may be doing lab work. You may be sitting by yourself in a library. You might be sitting by yourself in your own office. You may be in a shared office. But it's that idea of the independent researcher. And it's a 10-week program that prepares you to be what I see a PhD in the UK is, which is an apprenticeship to research. So uh, I'm going to back up a little bit and say the reason why this came out of that pre-masters is because the international students coming into Britain often have this wonderful opportunity before going into a master's of doing this pre-masters course. And it means that they're getting all these academic skill sets that that home students don't have. So when I was approached about doing the pre-PhD, I said, well, you know what? Well, this is great for international students. So many home students need this Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Need that opportunity to just take that notch up of their researching skills before diving into the PhD program about understanding and preparing for that apprenticeship. Um, So that when they do start that PhD, and, and this has happened so much, uh, and, and they do start that independent research lifestyle. 
I don't want to use, I've used the word prepared too much. I, I'm going to stop using that, but I'm going to say is they're ready to take on that challenge yeah. as opposed to getting into it and going, oh no, I didn't realize I'm going to be so alone or I didn't realize I was going to have to do this or, oh my gosh, I've never really done my own time management. I've always had essays scheduled in mm-hmm. and it's it's getting that solidified and um, a part of the their their academic lifestyle before the start. So while it did come out of the international mindset, it is something that is useful for anyone going into the program. So yes, yeah, so that's what it is. It's a 10-week online course um, through Oxford International. Um, yes. What I think is so gorgeous about it is that it's recognizing that this is a very different experience that you're entering into and this sense of kind of an orientation about it so that you're you can just kind of go okay what what what's what's going on here because Mm. so many people as you say arrive in a program and go blimey (laughs) what is this what is it um so this opportunity to just kind of and the, well, I suppose it's the recognition, isn't it? The recognition that, that that's that's a useful thing to do rather than just give someone a library card and yeah, hey, get that's going. It. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's your lab equipment or there's your library off you off you pop. Um exactly. And it's been interesting because I've been in been into meetings with potential partner universities and partner universities, and, and the universities are coming and going, right? Um, we're finding people, what they're saying is our students are coming to us and they've got great grades and great backgrounds, but the research proposal isn't up to scratch. Are you going to help them get their research proposal up to scratch? And my response is yes, but that's not enough. And I am developing, I have developed and and finishing off developing the program with the student in mind, which in turn benefits the university. I'm not coming at it from a university perspective Mm. because what I want to see is that if a student can make it through that first year and get through progression, that's what this program is about. It's so that you're not wasting that six months flailing and they're going, now I've got three months before progression. I've got to scramble and get it all together. For those of you who are listening, aren't listening and don't know what progression is, um, it's after your first year when you're progressed into an official doctoral candidate. And oftentimes you don't make it through that first year. Uh, you can either take longer, all kinds of stuff can happen. Um, so that's what this program's at. So it's been really interesting talking to universities and, and me helping them see it's not just about getting that research proposal up to scratch. It's about what they do with that proposal once they've gotten it accepted. And so that's where I'm coming with it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So tell us a little bit about what, what are the kind of elements that, because I think it's really useful as a kind of orientation for, for people to go, oh, have I thought about that? Have I thought about that? Mm. Have I thought about that? T- tell us a little bit about what you're Okay, well, it's a three, it's three, it's well, it's a four module course. Uh, the first module is two weeks. It's crash course, academic skill sets, hedging, even basic things like plagiarism. We think we all know it, but once you get into the research, uh, you know, um, what is basic knowledge and common knowledge when you're dealing with such a, a niche subject, you know, things like that. Mm. crash course into that um and build really what i'm thinking what we're looking at is students are coming in with this knowledge already it's it's reminding them of it and taking it yes. up to the, just a little bit more not that higher notch that's why it's only two weeks yes. and then the longer part of the course is six weeks it's discipline specific now this is something i also talk to universities about they come in and go well how can you teach someone in arts and 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 someone in neuroscience and I said because this is open to all fields and I said well on that same note 
someone doing a degree in arts is going to be still have a very different thesis than someone else in arts. Yes. So we're yes. not coming in as supervisors in that second module. What we're doing is it's discipline specific. You can choose from arts, humanities, social sciences, or sciences, or a combination thereof. You look at the various materials for that discipline and then work with me and the other tutors and your peers to apply that to your research proposal and so that you're prepared to go forward. Um, and then the last module is a sort of bring it all together module. It's the third module. But at the same time, there's a portfolio module that runs concurrent in the 10 weeks. And in that, the outcome is a digital academic presence. Now, I know for some people out of certain nations, this is a dangerous concept. So it's part of what we discuss uh, and a journal article that we will encourage you to um, publish and to go forward with. And part of that is so that you can take that into the program. Um, you could take that published article or uh, uh, you can you know, work towards publishing it in your first year with you. Because one of the other issues is, is, and this is looking down the lines of a PhD, is nowadays you're expected to come out of a PhD with a PhD and teaching and um, articles and conferences and all of that. And you don't have time. So we're given that little bit start in this program. So you do come out with, well, a poster, an article for publication, uh, a presentation or teaching, if you want to go down that teaching route, and an academic um, electronic presence. Um, so that's that fourth sort of portfolio module that brings it all together. Um, and then hey, you're ready to go. No problem after that. Love it. I and I love what you said at the beginning in terms of reminding people of what they know. Mm. Because I think so many people in PhD programs feel really de-skilled. Um, and I think it's just what we were talking about in terms of arriving on a program and being like, wow, what is going on here? And then they forget all the things they do know, all the skills they are bringing with them. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think it's brilliant that you're you're. Well, I think it's brilliant. You're being really student centered and thinking, OK, what does someone need here and what what do they already have and encouraging people to explore what they already have? Um, and and flex, it's interesting. as my sons would say, they yes. really <laughs> love that. I'm going to bring that into flex, flex your, your gray matter. But it's funny you say that. I was doing a video um, before Christmas on using the library. And I'm doing the video and I'm putting the materials going, oh, this is so basic. Do I really need to put this in? And then I realized exactly what you said, Emma. Sometimes we forget. Mm. And the, the crux of this, this little mini module or mini uh, lesson is that you don't necessarily need to use the library at your university. You, through Sol, um, what's it? Solnold, you'll have access to partner, univer uh, partner libraries. Maybe the best library for you is actually the public library. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And it's things that you know, but when you're mired in that PhD, mm. we've all, all of those who've done research, you get in this panic because you can't get access to an article. Mm. And you have, kind of have to step out of it and go, wait, actually, I've got a lot more at my disposal. So that basic information is part of it. It's just reminding you and bringing it to the forefront of your mind, of their minds, of students' minds, and helping them say, okay, sometimes this is all you need. A little bit of common sense goes mm. a long way. Yeah. Well, it's perspective, isn't it, as well? It's yes. perspective. And I think just and just is permission giving too. Because mm. I think that PhD students are awesome. <laughs> um and 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 they want to they want to get it right. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it, it's that it's that sense of 
okay, well, this this is what you can this is what you can do. Give yourself permission to explore that. Bring bring that. And I, I just I think this this um, perspective of support mm. to be your best self, to show up yeah. as your best version of yourself with all that you know. I just I love it. Yeah. And I think it's something that you learn by the end of your PhD. You're told at the beginning of your PhD, but you don't really believe it until the end is that you will be the expert in your topic. Mm. And they tell you that at the beginning, you're like, nah, no, no possible way. And then you get to the end of your, and you get to the vibe and you pass and you're like, oh my gosh, I am the most knowledgeable in this little minutia part of the world. Yeah. Who would have known? I mean, um, and it's helping remind them that from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Cause sometimes that can happen quite quickly, actually. Mm sometimes it's you know it's as we both know it's the middle of the first year and you're you're already exploring some really um cutting edge material you might have come across some something particularly in an archive and already you're ahead of your supervisor in that Mm. and already you're at a cutting edge place so it's I think it's brilliant from the get-go to be yeah I'm the expert I'm going to trust myself as an expert here um And that's where the UK PhD, and this is is a little bit of a help for, well, you know, it's going to say international students, but it applies because this is, it, it, the UK PhD is so different than many other PhDs in that there is no coursework. So from day one, mm, you are expected mm. to just stuck in and get going. Mm. And that can be really scary. And it's, yes. it's scary enough for a, a, a home student coming out of, say, a master's or an undergraduate but it's especially scary for the international students. Um, you know, I'm North American and I did my undergraduate in the North American system. And uh, luckily I had my master's and my MPhil to go through before getting to do PhD, but even sharing a language, the system is so different that independent study and the assist, uh, assumption that you will be the expert took, takes a while to, to kind of, um, to believe yeah. Yes. Well, it's yeah. that weird dynamic, isn't it? It's mm. it's like it's like pressing the accelerator and the brake at the same time because you might be feeling really de- really de-skilled, but also being told that you're the expert. So you're like, what? Yes. What? Yes. So that that sense of actually being able to perhaps te- to milk my metaphor. Yes. <laughs> take your feet completely off, um, and have your hands on the wheel, just mm. to feel steady. So that you can, um, yeah. So that you can. Was that a useful? I don't know. I love no. I think you're exactly saying it. But you, but you, you know, I, I think you've actually said it there because there are times where you can't get that chapter right. Your 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 research is going off. You haven't gotten your ethics review, and you feel like you may as well be back in school. But mm. at the same time, you've going to have done at, you know, by the middle of your first year, middle of your second year, but certainly by the end of your second year, you will have done more research into your topic or you should have done yeah. than your supervisor. So it is a really weird little world yeah. to have yeah. some things that just keep pushing you back, reminding you that you are an apprentice. Um, and then other times that you are at the top of your, your very niche field. And, and that's why I do keep coming back to the fact that really a PhD is an apprenticeship for research. It is not a, a it's not a, a it's more than a learning process it's a it's a skills process yeah absolutely it's that thing of isn't it of being a, like a colleague in training mm. colleague in yeah. training um yeah. and and that's a difficult negotiation uh, it's a difficult negotiation so this the things we're talking about here is um and it's 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 what we're preparing them for so i mean 
And it's great. We're having this podcast. This is, I think, a really helpful uh, starting point. But what the program does, and, and, I, and, I, and I think more universities are starting to do this with their first-year PhDs, is they're putting these discussions in practice mm. so that it's not just about hearing two people, you and I chat about it, but it's showing students themselves these facets. Yeah. So, uh, for example, um, looking at the, um, the digital digital presence aspect of the portfolio PhD, that may seem superfluous, but what it does is it means that these students are reaching out to other digital um, presences online that are academic and making these networks. And as they do that, they'll see these things and it becomes, you know, you and I having conversations, they're having conversations with us, they're having conversations with other people. So all of this is about a larger practice, about Mm. pulling it in and not just Mm. telling them that, not just going, right, Cynthia, be prepared. It's about providing them with actions and activities so that they can see it through their own um, purpose, their own goals. I love it. I love it. And I think every PhD program should have this. (laughs) (laughs) But I think also what's worth is so if you're listening to this and your PhD, uh, your university doesn't have this at the moment. Well, first of all, you can think about what, what you might need for yourself, but also perhaps agitate for having that input because Mm. um it's you deserve it and there are there are the support that can help you to go forward yeah I mean while I would love for everyone to come along and and be part of the um the online program that I'm developing the truth is so many universities in the last uh five years especially since the TAF have come out have instituted a doctoral college Mm. go to your doctor college and say okay I don't feel prepared or maybe I'm prepared now, but I see people coming in that aren't prepared. Can we start a mentorship? Can we oh, do some that. of these? Yes. Yeah, can we do some of these things? You know, I don't feel like I'm having time in my second year to get these articles written and I'm going to need to get a job. What can the doctoral college do to help me build that in? So the universities are becoming more aware. Um, but I think because universities are well universities, um, <laughs> which is a whole different podcast. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> laughs nervously yeah uh, um it, it sometimes it takes the input of the people on the ground or in yeah. the trenches to come and go we need this yeah so what yeah. you and i are talking about in emma is is something that students if students are out there going you know this sounds like something i need but you know i'm, I'm in the middle of my second year or i can't afford to do the op phd or i don't want to um take take this to the doctoral college and, and mm-hmm. chat with them about it and it. I also want to just keep saying, I keep using the, the uh, my my fictitious student at the moment is called Cynthia. I don't know why. I think it's because <laughs> I don't have any Cynthia's on my course. So as soon as I get one, I'm going to have to find a new fictitious student to, to use in my examples. I love it. Um, and, I love, and I just love this sense of, of, of what you're saying about going to the doctor college. And I think also this sense of, and that's not because you're not good. You know, if you if people are thinking that they'd like the support, that's not because you're not good enough. It's just because mm. this is, this is, support that why would you know these things why would you know it and there's someone you know you need someone to if if you went to work and they just said oh you know there there you go there's your, there's your pass get on with it it wouldn't be acceptable so this is this is why we this is why we're talking about it this is why we need a revolution people this is why we need a revolution and to go back with what you started at the beginning is I had my starter PhD and at the time it was all a very harrowing experience and I love my research that I did for it I stand by it and I'm very proud of it. And it's, it's, I, I think in some ways it's better than some of my PhD research. Don't tell anyone, 
Um, uh, but on a, a trajectory of getting where I am now, I needed that starter. Mm, and mm. so many people don't have that opportunity. Mm. So by me realizing it wasn't the best fit and rejigging it into an infill, I gave myself knowledge for the future, um, which so many people don't have that opportunity to do. Although I will put out there, if you have the resources and the will and the time and the energy, do an infill before you do a PhD. Go for it. And that okay. is a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, that is a whole other that, podcast. So that, definitely, that, we need to, let's that. talk about <laughs> let's talk about that another time, right? You're, yeah. you're, I'm, I'm booking you back in. Um, yeah. But before I let you go from this time, I always ask people for a top tip, which I know is completely unfair, but I'm going to ask anyway. How do you have a, a top tip for people? I do. Don't go. Don't necessarily go to the university that's nearest to you. Mm. And that's, it, it's, it's the hardest advice to, to go by if you've got caring responsibilities and a job and all the things that we have in life. Mm. But sometimes the best match for you may be elsewhere. And so if you really want to get to the PhD in the least amount of pain possible, I'm not saying you won't complete the PhD at the place most convenient, but it may, may not always be the pain, most painless, look further afield. And especially since the pandemic, I finished my PhD prior to the pandemic and um, I, I was still allowed to come up and down the country and have supervision on, mm. on Skype. Mm. And I even did some teaching through Skype and all kinds of stuff. Universities are so much more flexible. So that's my top tip. Do your research, use your researching skills to find that university that has the supervisor and the ethos that matches what you want out of a PhD. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant, and that is a that's a pre PhD activity, yes. isn't it? That kind it of is. that research process and mm-hmm. that application process. Brilliant. Oh, Rachel, thank you so so. I knew this would be good. Uh, thank you so <laughs> much for all of that, um, and I wish you all the best with this this um, project. And I'm very excited to say because I'm I'm getting to be involved in it, which I love. Yes, um, yes, and my pleasure. Thank you for having me. This has been a joy. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you all for listening. 